All right, with that introduction, we are diving into a brand new series today called, in fact, Things Jesus Never Said. I think the words of Jesus are powerful. Uh, I don't know about you, I grew up with a red letter Bible uh, where, man, those, those words, they popped off the page. You knew this is what Jesus said, and I, I know there's Man, there's pros and cons to that because it's all God's word, uh, and so it's not that these are more important, but, but I do think it's, in, it's insightful for us to see what Jesus emphasized. What was important enough for him to, to actually speak it out to us? And so over the next few weeks, we are going to look at many things that Jesus did say, but we're going to look at them many times through the lens of what he didn't say. Uh, sometimes we can become, as believers, especially if we've been following Jesus for any length of time, we can almost become too familiar with Scripture or too familiar with some of what God's Word has to say to where it begins to lose its impact. So, oh, yeah, I've heard this. Oh, yeah, I know this. Kind of goes in one ear and out the other. And if we're not careful, we don't come to it with fresh eyes and have the same impact that we did when we first heard it. And so sometimes it's good to switch it up. And instead of just talking about what Jesus did say, let's talk about some things he didn't say. Because when we see what Jesus didn't say, it will amplify for us and strengthen for us the things that he actually did say. So this morning for part one, we're going to talk about some things that Jesus never said on the subject of forgiveness. Uh, question for those of you who are on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or whatever your social media platform is of choice. How many of you know somebody on there who's annoying? Show of hands. Hands up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Keep them up. Uh, all right. Look around. If your hand isn't up, there's one of two possibilities. Either you don't use social media or I got bad news for you. Uh, you might be the one uh, that everybody else is raising their hand about, right? That everyone else is thinking of. The reality is, if you're on social media, you know somebody who's annoying. Uh, and you probably know more than one. So with that being said, uh, let's look at a few things that Jesus never said on the topic of forgiveness. Jesus never said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they post. Jesus never said that. Uh, it might be the truth. It might be something you need to stand on if you are the annoying one. But he didn't actually speak those words out. Jesus never said, fool me once, I'll forgive you. Fool me twice, and I'll give you hemorrhoids. Uh, now, some of us, if we had Jesus' power, we might have said that. Uh, but thankfully, Jesus never said that. He does not smite us when he has to forgive us a second time. Praise God. Jesus never said, sorry, you have sinned too much for me to forgive you. I can forgive everyone else, but you really get on my nerves. Uh, I don't know about you, sometimes I've felt that way, right? Like I know God forgives and I know God can forgive everyone else, but it's like, man, I've blown it too much. Man, I'm, I'm a pastor, right? I've got this position and it's like, how can I let this happen? And sometimes that voice in my head, the voice of the enemy will bring guilt and shame and condemnation that Jesus never did. And so we've got to remember what he didn't say so we can remember what he did say. Amen? So today in part one, we're going to do things Jesus never said. Uh, things he never said, we're doing part one. You don't need 
to forgive them. That is our message title today, is that you don't need to forgive them. Jesus always reminds us to forgive. I want to talk to you today from Matthew chapter 6 primarily. This is from Jesus' most famous sermon. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has a lot to say about forgiveness, a lot to encourage us with today. He's actually teaching them in context how to pray. The followers of Jesus come to him and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. They knew how to pray. They were Jews. They'd been raised to pray, but they didn't pray like Jesus. They heard Jesus pray with authority. They heard Jesus pray with, with faith, with conviction. And so says, teach us to pray. The implication is really teach us to pray like you. I mean, because you talk to God totally different than we talk to God. We want to talk to God the way that you do. And so Jesus gives the Lord's Prayer, one of the most famous passages of Scripture, one that we're probably all somewhat familiar with. And then he gives kind of a postscript. And in the postscript here, starting in verse 9 in Matthew chapter 6, we'll, we'll read this and then we'll go to the PS. It says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. I want you to notice two words in there in verse 9. They're underlined for you on your screen. It says, our father. You ever wondered why it doesn't say, my father? I mean, you could personalize it, right? Like most of the time I talk to God, I do personalize it. He's my God. He's my daddy. He's my Lord. He's my Savior. And I think it's powerful to personalize it. But in this context, Jesus teaches them to say, our Father. I think one of the reasons he does is because what he's going to say in verse 12. Look at what it says. It says, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. In the context of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching something relational. He's teaching us something about our relationship with each other. Verse 14 goes on to say this. After he's done with the prayer, he says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. I don't know about you, but that's one of the heaviest verses in Scripture for me. Because I'm grateful for a God who forgives. I'm someone who takes God up on his offer of forgiveness. I'm someone who needs his grace and his forgiveness, and he extends it freely. He extends it, man, in over and over and over again, but he does give one caveat. If you're going to receive this, you're expected to pass it on. I mean, I'll give it, and I'll give it, and I'll give it. I'll pay debt. You could never pay, but you better do the same thing. Why is that? Let's go back to the Lord's Prayer. Our Father. Why does he emphasize he's our Father? Because a father loves all of his kids, right? Father doesn't just love one of their children. We looked in our last series at a case of a father who highly favored one son, Joseph, over all of the other children, and it caused all kinds of issues. We don't have a father who plays favorites. 
We have a father who says, I am no respecter of persons. I love each and every one of you just as much. I paid just as great of a sacrifice for you as I did for him and for her and for all of them. And so Jesus, in the Lord's Prayer, he comes and says, our father, reminding us that he isn't just for you, although please understand he is for you. But he ain't just for you. He's for us. He's for all of us. And so there's an expectation that the father has that I am going to favor you. I am going to treat you incredibly. I'm going to extend all the grace to you as my child. But you better love the rest of my kids too. This summer we went on a long 41-day road trip. I loved it. I don't know that the rest of my family loved every minute of it. Okay, there, there, there was probably about... One extra week in there that the rest of them were just done, <laughs> like tapped out, ready to be home. I'm still enjoying it, but the other four were ready to be back. Uh, and, and in that last week, there started to be some tension in the van, right? Which, I mean, first of all, that's just miraculous it took that long. Like to take five people across the country, you made it over a month and got along. So I choose to look at the positive. I choose to celebrate that. Uh, but the reality is that last week was not the most fun week relationally. Uh, and, and your kids start to to get on each other's nerves, right? They start to push back at each other. They start to get frustrated. They start to get cranky. And, and it showed me as a father, I love each and every one of those three kids so much. But don't you come for your brother or sister, right? You, you, you want to see the, a different side of dad, start messing with your little brother. Because I, I love them all. And I think our God is the same way. If we can't love each other, if we can't forgive each other, if we can't treat one another well, we're going to see a different side of daddy. You just are. He says, look, I'll forgive you for anything, but you got to forgive too. And so that is a powerful truth, a heavy truth, an important truth for us to understand and to process this morning. A few years ago, actually more than a few years ago, I was still single. I was, I was single and about to be engaged. Uh, I went out ring shopping with a couple of my roommates. Uh, and we went and started looking at rings, and we're talking about ideas and getting ready to pop the question. I'm getting ready to pop the question. We weren't popping the question. Let me clarify. Uh, they, they were just helping me prepare for the moment. Uh, and so we went ring shopping, and we came home, and my little brother lived with us as well. So there were four of us living in this house, and, and one of my buddies, Matt, actually drove, and we we're in his car, and we get home, and we park behind my car, and there is no license plate on my car. What's going on? Uh, so we come around the corner, and the license plate that's supposed to be on my car is on my brother's car, who did not have a license in a few other situations, uh, and I lost it. Uh, in fact, he wasn't even there. We went inside. He wasn't there. We found out he was at somebody else's house. I called him on the cell phone that I had given him, uh, and, <laughs> and I, I went off. Um said some things that I shouldn't say, said some things I'm not proud of, uh, went, went off, off. And uh, I, I can honestly say it's the last time I went off. Doesn't mean I won't go off again, but thankfully it hasn't happened in the 13 years since, but I went off on my brother. 
And not only did I go off on him, but I started bringing up stuff, like a list. Started going through, you did this, and you did that, and you totaled my last car, and now you're stealing my license plate, and I could go to jail, somebody sees, and something happens, and, and you didn't pay for this, and this cell phone, and, that, and I went through all this stuff. And about 90% through my list, Holy Spirit grabbed me by the throat. He says, you said you forgave him. You told him those things were in the past and you'd forgiven him. And you lied. You hadn't actually forgiven him because if you had, you wouldn't be bringing it up right now. 1 Corinthians 13 says, love keeps no record of wrongs. Now, it's right to confront my brother for what he did. What he did was wrong. It was irresponsible. There was many adjectives we could put on it. It was illegal. Um, there, there, there were a number of things that I had the right to confront him over what happened. But what I did in the midst of the confrontation was not God-honoring. It was not brotherly. It was not becoming of someone who loved Jesus. And in the midst of going off on my brother, I had to stop and apologize to him for holding on to all these things. And now I'm mad at him because I have to apologize to him when he's the one who messed this up. Right? So now i got to forgive him for making me have to repent in the middle of all this on top of it. But I had an aha moment of unforgiveness. I had a realization that I had surface forgiven, but I had not root forgiven. I had not actually released it. I was holding on to it, and I was keeping an account. I had a dollar number of all that he had done to violate me and everything that he owed me, and I threw that in his face just as soon as something else happened. And that's not forgiveness. And maybe today, one of you will get an aha moment. Maybe today the Holy Spirit will grab one of you, perhaps a little more gently, because you're not in the midst of going off on someone in an ungodly manner. But maybe the voice of the Holy Spirit is going to put his finger on something that you haven't forgiven. Maybe something you came in today and you know you haven't forgiven, man. You've been holding on to this and you're bitter and you're angry and it's been weeks, months, years, decades, whatever. And you know as soon as we start talking about forgiveness, you start to get defensive about that area. Maybe it's like me and you were completely oblivious of your unforgiveness. Maybe you had convinced yourself that you had this under control. That you've actually released it, but the reality is there's a root there that you haven't dug up. And today is the day the Holy Spirit is going to grab that root and start talking. And trust me, it's going to feel a whole lot better for you to deal with it today in the safe environment of City Church or wherever you're watching this service at, rather than in the moment when you have to start going off on that person for the next thing they do, and you realize, man, I never dealt with this other stuff that they did. Even though maybe I told him, I forgave him. Maybe I even said it's okay. Maybe I've even been in relationship with them and walked alongside them. Maybe they even live in my house. But there's a root there that you haven't dealt with. The reality is God expects us to forgive. Anytime we start talking about forgiveness, there's 
attention, there's a danger, because many of us have been legitimately wronged. I'm not talking about somebody borrowing your license plate kind of wrong. I'm talking about you've been abused. You've been lied to and betrayed. You've been raped. You've been molested. You've been hurt in some ungodly way that God would never wish upon his children, that was never his will for you to experience. And there's a pain there. There's a wound there that has not yet fully healed. And so we start talking about forgiveness, and you immediately go to that wound. Can, can, can I speak to those people very quickly? I'm very fortunate. I've never suffered any of those major things that I just listed. I have been lied to and betrayed at times. I haven't gone through those major layers of abuse or molestation. My mom was molested as a child from the time she was four to six years old. My mom's in her 70s today. And that molestation still leaves a mark on her. So I have seen my whole life the impact that the enemy can use a wound from childhood to continue to ring forward in someone's life for decades. If that's you this morning, I need you to know, number one, what happened to you isn't your fault. Number two, we serve a God who heals, and his offer of healing is for you today. His promise is that he is close to the brokenhearted, and he binds up all of our wounds. And so if that's you, I need you to grab a hold of that promise. Forgiveness is not justifying what someone did. It's not even saying it's okay. Forgiveness is the recognition that what happened to you hurt, that it was sin, that it should not have happened, but that because we serve a God who forgives us, it empowers us to play and pay that forgiveness forward, and we can pass it on to that individual, even someone who left you, cheated on you, molested you, raped you, insert, whatever here. It doesn't mean that you need to get back in situation for that person to hurt you again. It doesn't always even mean you need to have a conversation with that person. For some of you, that's not even possible. The man who molested my mother has been dead for 30-some years. She can't go have a conversation with him. I can't go have a conversation with him. As much as there are my moments in my flesh that I would like to have a sit down and say, do you realize the damage that you've brought, not just to my mom, but to her family, to her marriage, to her kids? Do you know what your selfishness did? I've wanted to have that conversation many times. I don't have that opportunity. I do have the opportunity to forgive. Not just the opportunity, I have the expectation to forgive. Because I have been forgiven much. I am empowered and expected to forgive much myself. Doesn't mean everything that happened was okay. Doesn't mean it's justifiable. It just means I have a God who forgives me, who loves me, and who asks me to forgive his other children. Amen? As brutal as it is to endure a personal betrayal or abuse, Sometimes it's even harder to see someone else go through that, see the pain up close. Regardless if you're the one who's experienced yourself or you're the one who's secondhand experienced it, man, as a parent, don't mess with my kids, right? <laughs> like, don't mess with my kids. This past Friday, our kids just started riding the bus 
Uh, and they, t- they take the bus home. Uh, and this past Friday, they had a substitute bus driver and Melody sitting out in front of the house for the kids to get off the bus. And the bus goes right past the house. Uh, and we start freaking out. She texts me. She's like, the kids didn't get off the bus. I don't know if they didn't get on the bus. I don't know what happened. Uh, so we're calling the school. We're calling the bus barn. Like, we're trying to figure out what is going on with our kids. And just the substitute didn't know that was the bus stop. And our kids are quiet and gentle, which apparently on the bus, that's not how they normally are. But they were intimidated by this bus driver. They didn't speak up. So our daughter is in tears on the bus, doesn't know where she's going to end up or whose house she's going to go live at now. Uh, But thankfully, we were able to get it sorted out, and the bus came at the end of the bus route and dropped our kids off, and they're fine. And I don't mean to trigger Carolyn, because I know she had a much worse experience with the bus, dropping her kid off in the middle of the wrong neighborhood. Um, But praise God, Ben's okay, Judy and Lexi are okay, right? But man, don't mess with my kids. And so sometimes it's not even what somebody did to you, it's what somebody did to somebody else that you've grabbed a hold of, right? That's why, by the way, gossip is so dangerous, because gossip takes my offense and gives it to you. That's why God is so serious about this, this level of sin that gossip is that we think is just this fun little thing, and we have gossip magazines and gossip culture, and man, we don't think it's a big deal. We think it's fun to talk about people, but God is very clear that this thing is deadly because it passes a wound from one to another. It makes it contagious. So we got to be real careful about taking other people's offenses and allowing the enemy to put that on us as well. Jesus said, our Father. In heaven, he's not just my father, he's our father. He even goes on to say this, actually, just a little bit before that in Matthew chapter 5. In the Sermon on the Mount, he says, Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. God says, I love you so much, but I love them so much don't come and start asking me for stuff or even bringing me stuff until you've got it right with them that's a that's a powerful reality of how serious god is about our relationships with everybody else now i don't think that means that we cancel the worship set uh and we don't sing or express glory to god but it does mean man if you're in worship and you realize i mean you got an issue with somebody Man, you better make that priority number one to deal with that thing. God, I'm, I'm going to get this thing taken care of. I'm going to have this conversation. I'm going to give it to you. Who does unforgiveness actually hurt? You've, you've probably heard it said something along these lines that unforgiveness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Right? It's thinking that, like, like if I have unforgiveness to you and I'm mad at you, you probably have no idea. My brother had no clue that I had this, this litany of things. Like, he was just living in my house, taking advantage of everything and feeling good about life. Hey, I'm borrowing my brother's license plate. It's cool. Right? Like, he had no clue that I had all this bitterness towards him. It wasn't hurting him. He wasn't the one drinking the poison. I was. I was. But you know who else unforgiveness hurts? I believe it hurts the heart of the Father. If your children are walking in unforgiveness to one another, it's going to bother you. Man, when there's drama 
in the house when there's head buddy. I'm not talking about just like the, he's sitting on my side again, right? Like there's that annoying level of little kids uh, that, that bothers you, but it's just life. If you're going to have kids, you're going to deal with it, right? But I'm, I'm talking about like the real brother and sister drama. Man, it doesn't just hurt them. It hurts you as the parent because you've got a heart for your kids. My unforgiveness doesn't just hurt me. It actually hurts dad. He says, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. I've always taken that verse to mean it's good and pleasant for us. But I think it's God speaking of his own emotional state. Man, it's good, and it's pleasant when my kids get along, when they love each other, when they live like Jesus. It's good and pleasant for our Father when he sees us extending forgiveness, walking out the example that he has given for us. Ergo, we can conclude that forgiveness is actually an act of worship. It's an act of worship. God's glorified when we forgive. Why does God say, hey, I don't want you to come and offer me something. I don't want you to give me worship while you've got this ongoing issue with this person over here. He says, that's the worship I want. That's what's really going to bring me glory. That's what's really going to, to speak to my heart is if you deal with that, if you make it right with your sister, if you get it right with your brother. And when I say sister and brother, I'm not just talking about like domestic in the home relationships. I'm talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, right? The fellow creation that God has placed in our lives who he's the father of as well. When we live in bitterness, resentment, and hatred, we continue to let our wound stay infected. We continue to put new poison in our soul. It's been said that offense is like a prison. Unforgiveness is like a prison that we lock ourselves in, and there's only one key. The way out of that prison is to forgive. You actually hold the key, but you got to decide to activate it. You got to decide, am I willing, am I strong enough to let this thing go and to take advantage of this key that God has given me? A few years ago, in fact, very, very shortly after I became pastor here, there was a lady who I don't even remember exactly how she found us, but somehow she found the church and she reached out and she had a a big sob story. She was going through a lot. She had just been diagnosed with breast cancer, and she was going through treatments, and because of the treatments, she couldn't work. And, of course, very recently, her husband had cheated on her, and they had gone through a separation. And so now she, I think she had five kids and had no income because she couldn't work, and her husband wasn't paying child support, and they were getting ready to get evicted. Is there any way you can help? So, of course, we helped. We, we stepped in, and we met the need, and uh, I think we did the right thing. And we've done this many times for, for others in different ways. And I'm so grateful for your generosity that enables us to do that. We can't always share those stories because they're oftentimes confidential. And, but, but, man, God uses this church. and uses your generosity. The thing that made this story different, though, was this individual kept coming back. Um, man, I'm going through this and this is going on. And, and long story short, this person ended up making a request for a loan of a significant amount of money. Like, hey, I've got a tax return coming. You know, she had five kids, uh, single income. I knew that there was a big tax return coming. Um, 
can we borrow this amount of money so we can make sure and keep the house? I don't want to lose my kids. If I lose the house, I'm going to lose custody of my kids. They're going to go to the dad, um, and we'll pay it back. And I, in my foolishness and ignorance, I made the deal, uh, made the loan, and, of course, we never saw or heard from her again. Uh, by far the biggest mistake I've ever made with your money, by far the biggest mistake I've ever made with God's money. Uh, say this, just to put you at ease, we've put policies in place since then, so that's not, never going to happen again. Um, we're, we're smarter than that now. We learned that lesson the hard way. But I blew a pretty significant chunk of change, around $5,000 uh, over the course of multiple donations to this lady. Um, and I was mad. It was hurt. I took advantage of my generosity. You took advantage of my people. Man, you lied to us. Man, I was mad. And the only way that I could find to release that debt was literally to release that debt. You know, we're changing this from a loan to a gift. You didn't steal it from us. Because I couldn't otherwise get past it. Had to send the email and say, hey, it's out there. Never got a response. Don't know if she ever saw it or, or what. But I had to make that decision that this is, this is a gift. Is also why now if anybody ever comes and asks for a loan, it's like, nope, we're not loaning money. We're going to give it to you. If you want to give it in the offering or, you know, God deals with you to somehow, well, praise God. Man, you can contribute. We would love for you to contribute, but we're not. We're not doing We're not, we're not a bank. We're not in the loan business. We're in the generosity business. When we have the opportunity, we will help. When we feel led, we will help. But we're not doing loans anymore. Got burned on that. Never expecting anything to come back. Um, perhaps today, there's some debt. You just need to forgive. I mean, $5,000. But I mean, there's something that was done to you. There was a wrong that you experienced that you have not been able to get past. And you just need to make the decision I'm taking my hands off of it. You don't owe me anything. I'm releasing you from whatever happened. And maybe you have to have the conversation. Maybe you don't. Maybe you need to initiate that. That's between you and God. But perhaps you're in that position today where you just need to take your hands off of what you went through, off of what happened to you, and release that because the reality is they ain't paying it back. The reality is they're not going to fix it. And so the choice you have is, am I going to stay locked in this prison of unforgiveness, or am I going to take advantage of this key that God has blessed me with, that Jesus has modeled for me? Am I going to obey and submit to the command of his scripture that he says, I'm going to forgive you, but only as long as you forgive others? Do you have the courage to take that key and to unlock that prison? For many of us, that may be very difficult because we've been hurt very deeply. We've been very significantly wronged. Matthew 5 says it this way, verse 43. He says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What's Jesus doing in the Sermon on the Mount? He's flipping things upside down. He's speaking to the way that we do things. And he says, no, there's a better way. In fact, there's an opposite way. You may have done it this way in your life. This may be what seems natural in your flesh. 
But God operates differently. And if you want to see the best he has for you, if you want to walk in his peace and his joy, you're going to have to begin to flip your life upside down as well and do things that sound outrageous. Love your enemies. Pray for the people who hurt you, who persecute you, who harm you. That's a difficult, difficult thing. If you're like me and somebody's deeply hurt you, Sometimes you don't feel like praying. Anybody holy enough to say, I don't always feel like praying, right? Like, I don't, I don't always feel like praying for that person. I think sometimes we're a lot more like Jonah than we want to admit. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh because he said, if I go to Nineveh, they're going to repent, and I don't want them to be forgiven. Sometimes I don't want to pray for somebody because I don't want to release it. I don't want to let it go. Here's the reality of prayer. When I pray, I become intimate with who I pray to. That's why it's so important for me to pray, to talk to God, because it builds an intimacy between me and God. We become intimate with who we pray to. Secondly, when we pray, we become intimate with who we pray with. Who we pray with is why city groups are so powerful. May you start gathering together in a small group and, and praying for one another. Man, there's a connection that is formed when you pray with each other. It's why husbands and wife, man, you need to pray together. Families, kids, pray together. There's a bond, a spiritual intimacy that comes when you pray with one another. I, I would even go this far. I think this truth is so powerful. I've even taught young people who are not married and dating to be careful about how much time they spend in prayer with one another. Seems like the perfect thing to do. Man, we're going to go before God together. But, but sometimes it can even create a false intimacy where you start to let boundaries down. Because, man, there's this bond here. Like, man, this is the one. Man, we're praying together. We're, we're serving Jesus together. And so you've got to even be extra cautious there. That's how powerful this truth is. That you are going to become intimate with who you pray to, with who you pray with, and number three, who you pray for. The reason, many times, why it's hard for us to pray for the person who has harmed us is because deep down inside, we don't want to come close to that person. We don't want our heart to change towards them. We want their heart to change towards us. We want them to initiate it. We want them to fix it. And we don't want to change our heart. And the reality is, sometimes you got to pray without feeling it. In fact, if we're being honest, a lot of times you got to pray without feeling it. We, we, we create this idealized sense of Christianity that, man, our heart's always got to be in it, right? That, man, I'm, I'm, gonna, man I'm, I'm supposed to feel it when I pray. I'm supposed to feel it when I worship. I'm supposed to feel it when I give. And the reality is any discipline in life, you're not always going to feel it. You're not always going to feel it about going to the gym. You're not always going to feel it about eating right. You're not always going to feel it about studying. You're not always going to feel it about reading. the Like, whatever it is, you're not always going to feel it. But if you're going to be responsible, if you're going to grow, if you're going to be a disciple, you're going to have to do it when you don't feel it. <laughs> so let me empower you today. Let me get into business today. Even if you don't feel it. Sometimes we have those awesome moments in church where God just speaks and, and the Holy Spirit just breaks us and we walk out of here like, I got to take action right now. But a lot of times we don't. Just because your emotions didn't get engaged doesn't mean the truth wasn't taught. 
Some days we feel it, some days we don't. But the power is there whether you do it with emotion or you do it without emotion. Jesus didn't say, love them and pray for them. He said, pray for them. Right? You don't always have to feel it. The emotions oftentimes will follow the action. And so if you will take the step, the emotions will follow. That's why you're going to become intimate with those you pray for. Even if you're not intimate with them when you start. God will change your heart. You see, the reality is your prayer may or may not change others. But it will always change you. Why is prayer so important? Because even when we don't see God move supernaturally, and I believe in a God who moves supernaturally, even when we don't see that answer, even when we don't see things change externally, things are always changing internally. God uses prayer to change us. Why? Because we become intimate with who we pray to. And so when I pray, I become more like the one I'm praying to. It may not always change somebody else, but it will always change me. So I don't care if you feel it or you don't feel it. I don't care if you're standing on stage with tears in your eyes or you're out there looking at your watch right now, ready to go to lunch. The truth applies the same to all of us, to all God's children. He's no respecter of persons. Colossians 3 puts it this way in verse 13. It says, bear with each other. You ever had somebody you had to bear with? Right? We all got somebody we got to bear with. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. Time and time again, Scripture points back to what God has done for us. We're not expected to forgive first. We're expected to forgive second. He's already forgiven us. Because he's already forgiven us, we now have the power to forgive others. Psalm 30. Verse 12 says this, it says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. The east and west never touch. They never connect. If you go west, you're just going to keep on going west across the globe time and time again. If you go east, you're just going to keep on going east time and time again across the globe. They never touch. They never connect. As far as the east is from the west, so far has God removed your sin from you. The Greek word in the New Testament for forgive has the implication to hurl something. To take it, to grab it, and to throw it. This is not just sweeping something under the rug. This is not just dealing with something on the surface where I say I forgive you because that's what's culturally expected or religiously expected. But this is actually taking that offense, taking that hurt, taking that wound, and saying, I'm getting this as far away from me as I possibly can. How do we do that? We do it because that's what God did for us. Because that's how he models it. That's how he demonstrates it. That's how he extends his grace. He casts our sin as far as the east is from the west. And now he says, hurl that unforgiveness. Hurl that offense. Hurl that bitterness. Take it and throw it as far as you can. I'm almost done. Give me five more minutes. How many give me five more minutes? 5, 10, 15, 20. That's one of those classic preacher jokes I've never used before. I've been teaching for like 20 years. I finally stole that one. I've been having it in the pocket for a long time. Okay. 
love what Pastor Andy, Andy Stanley says. He says, in the shadow of my hurt, forgiveness feels like a decision to reward my enemy. But in the shadow of the cross, forgiveness is merely a gift from one undeserving soul to another. You see, the question is, what lens are you looking through? If you look through the lens of your hurt and your offense, forgiveness is audacious, it's scandalous, it's wrong. If I'm looking through the lens of what someone has done for me, forgiveness is foreign and and scandalous. But if I look through the lens of the cross, it's simply a gift from one person who recognizes they are undeserving to somebody else who doesn't deserve it either. It's all about the lens we look through. One more quote for you. Pastor Dave Willis says this. He says, holding a grudge doesn't make you strong. It makes you bitter. Forgiving doesn't make you weak. It sets you free. Who wants to be free today? God's given you the key. You already hold the key to your own freedom. Are you bold enough? Are you courageous enough? Are you filled with enough faith in God to access that key, to grab that key, to put it in the lock of your prison and to turn it? I hope and pray that you are. Matthew 6, 14 says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. You see, the reality is Jesus never said, You don't need to forgive them. All of us do. Forgiveness empowers you to set the prisoner free. Today, I challenge you to realize the prisoner was you. Would you pray with me today?